Before we begin, a reminder that nothing on this podcast is intended as a statement of faith, doctrine, or fellowship, and this podcast is not affiliated with any church, school, or calling body. What's up, gents? My name is Charlie Ungemach, and you are listening to an episode of the Gird Up Broadcast. Now, the dudes are going to join me in just a minute, and we got a lot of great content coming your way. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you to all those who help support the Gird Up Project here. All of our content at Gird Up is available free to anyone anywhere in the world who might benefit from our message, and we want to keep it that way. But we also have to rely then upon the contributions of our listeners to do so. You'll never see any paywalls or exclusive content here at Gird Up. That being said, it does cost us money to put a show like this together. So if you find what we're doing here valuable and you enjoy the broadcast and you're willing and able to do so, please go to www.girdupministries.com, click on the menu, and select Buy Us a Cup of Coffee. That $5 donation goes a long way towards keeping this podcast going and it helps us reach and minister to many more men just like you. Hope you enjoy the broadcast today. Let's get to it. Gird Up Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungemach. With me today, as always, we've got the great... Connor Herter. And... Bryce Guzzi. And our guest today on the fourth microphone over here, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Ryan Gurgle, seminary senior. Just got back from Vickering a few months ago down in Covington, Georgia, just southeast of Atlanta. And uh, glad to be joining you guys. Awesome. Glad to have you. Tell us a little bit more about Vickering. What's that like? Well, uh, first word would probably be busy, honestly. I, I had a really busy... Vicar experience, which I think fits well with the quote we'll be looking at later and, and some of the things we'll be talking about today. But I just got a ton of different experiences. Uh, I'm at a very evangelism-focused church, Abiding Grace in Covington, and they just, every night, four nights a week, we get out there and we knock on doors, and for two hours at least. And so I actually knocked on over 1,400 doors throughout my year. And when you just stand there talking to people about Jesus that much, you're going to learn a thing or two, you know, experience the best teacher, of course. So besides that, I mean, all the, all the other good stuff, right? Meeting people, finally having real faces to preach sermons to and life stories to learn and and apply God's word to. So yeah, positive experience all around. Awesome. And then uh, what else you got going? Yeah, anything else going on in life at the moment? Just got back. So what's life look like now? Life looks like structure again, which is really nice. If there's one thing I learned is that it's hard to, especially when you're a vicar, you know, you've got a supervising pastor, you're kind of going to go along with, with his schedule a little bit more. But being back at school, I appreciate just the structure of it and being able to have a nice block plan for the week and get after it that way. And uh, I'm just going to really soak that in this year nice. since I know it'll be back to a little bit more unpredictability out there as a, as a pastor. So. Awesome. Definitely happy about that. Sweet. And then, uh, I mean, let's, the the, uh, the elephant in the room, right? The second gurgle we've had on the podcast. So your pops is uh, the president up at MLC. So a little gurgle connection there. That's right, he is. And he was just in town for our symposium a few days oh, ago. Nice. So it's good to see him. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to see the, the MLC profs off campus. Yeah. I just, I've always enjoyed that. I don't really know mm-hmm. what makes it so enjoyable. I mean, I guess I like them. But when you're on campus, they're, you know, they're like authority figures. When you see them off campus... It's a little bit different dynamics. Yeah. So it's a little bit more fun. Cool. Thanks for some shout-outs this week. What do we got? 
I guess I'll start. Um, it's my mother. It was my mother's birthday on Tuesday, so I guess I have to thank her again for birthing me and <laughs> bringing me into this world. So shout out my mother. I love you. Uh, I'm going to shout out uh, Keith Brasso today for sending an email recommending students <laughs> not ask questions at the symposium. Let's which define completely... symposium. What is the symposium for anybody that doesn't know? So. I don't know if I'm the best one to to talk about this one, but uh, I guess from my point of view, the symposium was we had a main topic that was the theme of the basically day-long symposium that took place over two days. Uh, This year it was the Two Kingdoms, and so we had three papers presented to us, both, or two of them were at least 30 pages long, and the last one was 54 pages long or something like that, and the... And he read it in 90 minutes. It was amazing. Yeah, they they read the papers verbatim, like, wow. right to, almost verbatim right to he us. He sounded like an audiobook on two times speed. He did. It was yeah. unbelievable. And so another and aspect... Only made, like, only misspoke, like, twice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another aspect of this is, one, the student body participates by sitting in the crowd quietly and watching. <laughs> Most of us. Most it's It's for and, pastors. And, but yeah. the majority of it is for pastors, a few laymen and, and teachers and, and the like. But I I would say there was probably, I think they said 300 some odd, almost 350 pastors here on 320, I think was the number actually. So, yeah. No, really it's a good cool time. thing. I mean, what it is, is it's just a whole bunch of pastors coming together to discuss a very current and difficult issue usually. So, like last year, they talked about compassion ministry. So reaching out to people for their physical needs and how do we balance that with the gospel. Two years ago, it was about the pastoral wellness. So your mental health as a pastor, which has been talked about more and more, you know, as pastors seem to get busier and busier, how do we watch out for that? So yeah, it's just good to see pastors coming together and actually discussing these things. Right, and uh, that the year where his pastoral wellness was Dr. Ben, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. Oh, great. So Dr. Ben Coles, who's a, he's a good guy to know, but he works over at CFS. Just some cool things there too. So yeah, all kinds of yeah. That's a that's a long way to describe my shout out uh, for yeah. today. Oh yeah, but <laughs> that's what we're su- talking about. Suffice yeah. it to say, the uh, the email recommended that students not take up uh, mic time and ask questions because the pastors travel a long distance to to participate in this, and so they're the ones that get precedent. Needless to say, you should read your emails before you attend events like that, and that was <laughs> that was my mistake. It wasn't a bad question. Well, for sure, it wasn't a bad question. Yeah, it wasn't a good question. That's also true. So your shout out is to Keith for sending out the email you didn't read. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. All right, um, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Professor Noah Hedrick. We had a, a worship service this morning for the fest or for the feast day of Saint Matthew, and it was just excellent. I mean, first of all, the guy can flat out preach, right? Yeah, um, but beyond the fact that he's very gifted in his presentation. The sermon was spot on for his audience, as a bunch of seminarians, uh, talking about how difficult ministry is going to be, but how blessed the experience is going to be at the same time, um, and even talking about hardship in a in a really unique way that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. Um, and then just on on top of that, he's in he's in our classroom, um, just shadowing other professors. He's not mm-hmm. he's not teaching yet, so he's not really an instructor yet, but he's shadowing. And even as the shadow in the back of the classroom, he's building good relationships. He's enjoyable to have around. He's already kind of made himself a part of campus life, um, which is not an easy thing to do when you're brand new and not teaching. Um, and so just thank you to him for all the... He's, he's, he's doing an excellent job of introducing him into the seminary culture and doing an excellent job of building relationships. 
um, even before he's necessarily required to do so. And it's definitely not going unnoticed. Yeah, and I think one of the things I appreciated from his sermon this morning was also that he encouraged us as people training to be ministers, don't let your regular study of the Bible become your personal devotional life. And I thought that was a good takeaway too, because I think one of the things that can be easy for us to do is let our devotional life go to the wayside just because we spend the majority of our time in the Word. And so that encouragement was nice to hear. Yeah, no, definitely cut to the heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was his greeting at the beginning, the votum? He said something from that, it was Ezekiel chapter 2 and a chapter 3, but he said something like, thank you for making us hard-headed or, or right. something yeah. like that. Right? It was a quote right from it, but yep. it's not your typical greeting at the front of the sermon. Yeah, let so us he had be hard-headed and hard full, or fill our bellies and harden our heads. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Lord, Amen. fill our bodies and harden our heads. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Which he at least said that after he read the sermon text, so it at least was contextualized right, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But it was good. It was excellent. Yeah, awesome. My uh, shout-out is similar. It's to the musicians that we have on this campus. Wow. I mean, today we had a few playing. Josiah Lairsh on the pan- piano, John Fix with the bass guitar. Uh, who else was there? Jack Eichelbeck on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And Joey Bame on the trumpet. But even just our symposium we just had, we had just an angelic brass choir. I mean, I've heard brass group, whatever you call it. Um, how many were there? I mean, if I look at this, like seven there's or like eight, weren't there? even more yeah, than that. It looks like maybe choir, 10 yeah. in 10. the brass. Wow. And it was just a taste of heaven. Singing in that open gym and hearing all the men's voices singing of all those pastors, but then just all those different brass instruments praising yeah, God. It was beautiful. So uh, shout out to all those guys. 450 for, people that all care about singing, singing from the heart is an incredible experience. It is an incredible experience. But even today, even when it's just the seminary student body, yeah. I mean, I couldn't help but think during the, the second hymn today, like I just, like I, I stopped singing for like half of a verse and just thought to myself, like it is good to be here. Yeah. Like it is good to be here. And I, I've been in a little bit, I worked all weekend and then it's been a really busy week. So I've just been tired and a little bit crabby all week. And I was not particularly excited to spend extra time in worship this morning, um, but it would, turned out to be exactly what I needed, and really was a—I mean, really built me up. That's why I shouted out Hedrick because the sermon was phenomenal. Yeah. But on top of that, just being in being in a room like that with all the brothers and singing our hearts out. There's never there is no such thing as piano singing in that room no, ever. No. <laughs> It was nice it's that beautiful. we were helping uh, Ryan here as he was the cantor this morning for the service. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we didn't we, read directions we very well. We did not read the directions. We started was, singing. You did an part. excellent job, yeah. too. Well, thank you. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. No, was I will say, we, you guys didn't need an introduction on any of those hymns. I was surprised <laughs> they had me sing a verse of, come, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Right? I think most seminarians know yeah. that. But that's a fun order of service, that, too. That just is, to, yeah. just uh, all the joy it exudes. Yeah. yeah. It's good to hear everybody singing it. Awesome. A uh, special shout out this week to Philip from Lake Mills, Wisconsin. He bought us a cup of coffee this week. We call it a cup of coffee donation because for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the ministry we're doing with young men. If you'd like to support or help if you'd like to support or help fund the work we do here at Gird Up, go to www.girdup.com, select buy us a cup of coffee in the main menu and make your donation there. Shout out to the people that have done so already. Um, since we kicked up again a couple of weeks ago, we were able to buy a new mic, or two new mic stands, and we're saving up to buy a new microphone as well. So I'm using a cheap mic today. You can kind of hear a difference. Connor, go ahead talking to your microphone. Yep, this is one of the better mics, I yep, think. Yeah, and then you can hear my microphone, right? So it's a, it's a little different quality of sound. For We'd sure. love to get 
four really good, solid quality microphones. So in order to do that, we got to buy one more. Um, and if you contribute to the podcast, you're helping us do just that. So thank you to the guys that did that. Thank you to Phil. Um, and if you'd like to make a donation, we'll put that link down in the show notes below. Manly quote of the week this week comes from Theodore Parker. He says, it is, a very, it is very sad for a man to make himself servant to a single thing. His manhood all taken out of him by the hydraulic pressure of excessive business. What's he warning against? I think he's warning about having a good work-life balance. Because if you pour too much into your work, especially if you have a family and other people that are around you in life and you need to take care of, if you throw so much into your work or so much into one aspect, you're going to totally forget the other thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be really tough to sort of keep both of those up when you're pouring everything into one and not the other. And we talked about this, uh, or I was talking about this to a couple professors last year, because as pastors, our workload is going to be insane. Mm-hmm. And they always say, at least one day a week, just be with your family, and any free time you have, whatever. You spend it with the Lord and you spend it with your family, but you always have that balance because you need that balance to thrive. Absolutely. Yeah, and I would say that quote read for me, like even within work, you know, you've got a very, and especially as pastors, I mean, in any work, if you're just focused on one particular goal in your work, it might drive you crazy. What if, what if that goal doesn't go well? Whereas if you vary your work and you, and you attack at a few different things, you have a lot of different things that can go well and, and not go well, and you're, you're okay. Um, like for me, in my vicar year, I saw that um, modeled for me really well. Every day, 5 p.m. was protected for evangelism visits. It didn't matter if you weren't done with your sermon yet. It didn't matter this or that. We were going to go do that because there are souls out there that need the gospel. And that was something to get excited about every day, no matter what was going on within the church. And so I think that that's yeah, a good thing to keep in mind, great, too. That's a great example to have. Yeah, I think the cheap cut down of a quote like this would be like, your one thing should be Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And that's not what the human life looks like, right? Obviously, our life is governed and is governed by our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Everything is done in the light of the gospel. But that doesn't mean that you're a one-dimensional creature. And that's exactly what he's, he's warning about here. And I, 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 there's no way to live a rich, full life unless you have some dynamic there, right? There has to be something else that you're doing. And so I was almost thinking about identity from, from, like from this regard. The, the idea that um, what I do tends to define what I am, especially in our culture, what I do tends to define what I am. And even, even in Christian culture, like I can be a Christian and resign everything to my Savior and yet still find some identity in what I do. And when my, I find all of my identity in, whether it's in work, you know, or being a dad, or being a husband, or being a weightlifter, whatever, if, when I become one-dimensional, then there's tons and tons of pressure on that one thing, mm-hmm. right? This thing has to fulfill me. And again, you can make the argument, like, Jesus should be the thing fulfilling you. Let's move that to the side for a second, right? What we do have is a set of gifts and abilities that God has given us that he's designed us with and he bids us to go and make good use of them, right? And so if I enjoy working out 
great. Go do that. Go do it well to the best of your ability. If you enjoy reading, doing homework, studying, whatever it is, if you have several vocations in your life, being a father and a husband, being a student, you know, being a brother or a son, whatever it might be, go do all of them the best you can, but don't let yourself get locked into one specific thing. Mm-hmm. And Bryce, you kind of touched on that with the work thing, right? Work-life balance. But work-life, I think, sometimes becomes two-dimensional. I've got work and I've got home. Mm-hmm. And even there, you don't really have any hobbies. You don't really have anything else going on. And that still only gives you two outlets. And that becomes your more and more of your identity. And maybe there are some men in the world who can be satisfied with that. But I know I'm not one of them. Like, I've got a bunch of different things I enjoy doing. And a bunch of different things that I've like, a bunch of different places. I got. Here we go. A bunch of irons in the fire. That's the right turn of phrase, right? Nice. Um, Fancy. And without a bunch of different irons in the fire, very quickly for me, there ends up being pressure in the wrong places. Yeah. Because I'm I'm wrapped up in the I'm too wrapped up in the things that I am doing because I don't have any perspective on them because there's nothing else going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think. Uh... <clears throat> There are definitely times in our lives where we have to hyper-focus on something. Like, if I think of, like, a professional athlete or even, like, an Olympic athlete, like, during those times, during the season, you're hyper-focused on that, and parts of your life are going to suffer as a result of that. And it, it can be extended out to the life of a pastor as well. I mean, you spend the majority of your week focusing on what what you're supposed to be doing at church or what you're supposed to be doing in your particular sporting event. But the important thing is, is that there is that off season. There's that time for you to recoup, to recover, to pursue other interests, to celebrate, whatever it might be. And so, yeah, there are going to be instances in our life where we do have to sacrifice parts of our, like Bryce said, work-life balance because it's just a necessity. But the important thing is, is that you're cashing that time back in with the rest and recovery as well. Yeah, last year I actually, I've been a runner. I should have said that at the beginning. Running's kind of defined part of who I am for a long time now. But I kind of got out of it at the end of college and coming into seminary because I got busy. And my vicar year, like I said, it was really busy. And then I decided one day I was going to do a marathon. Two friends approached me and said, hey, we're doing this marathon. You want to do it with us? They're old running buddies. And I was like, fine, I guess. I have no clue how I'm going to have the time for tr- to train for this. But that was maybe one of the best decisions I made all year, is even though it felt like I didn't have the time, and even though I felt like, oh, is my supervising pastor going to be mad at me if I'm going off to run for three hours, you know, a couple times a week? But he actually said in my closing meeting that I did better work once I started training for this marathon. And that's like, you know, I just didn't see that coming. But I think that's another good example that, yeah, you put your focus in a few different places, your dynamic, and it ends up serving you in in a holistic way. All right. So, what is our verdict? This is a good manly quote. Yeah, I'd say I'd say so. As long as you're not saying that, like, committing yourself solely to Christianity, like you were saying, that cheap out, like God should be the main focus of your life. Of course, we understand that that is our purpose in life. But in general, the idea of having multiple different interests interests and having multiple different hobbies uh, along with your work and balancing that work life schedule. Yeah, I think it's a great quote. Awesome. I, I also think it's important. He says it's very sad. He doesn't say, heaven forbid. You right. know, he doesn't say, don't ever let it happen. He just says, it's sad when somebody, essentially when somebody becomes one-dimensional. Um, and I think maybe I misquote. I, I have a suspicion that it's not excessive business, that it's excessive busyness. Mm-hmm. I might have copied it down wrong. I'm not totally sure. The book's in the other room. But either way, 
Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly can get behind this one. Cool. Nicely done, Theodore. Okay. You Theodore, you're a man. <laughs> a real man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this week, uh, we're in our, so we've been going through over the last couple of weeks, Good News for Anxious Christians by Philip Carey. We'll put a link to that book down in the show notes below. You can buy it on Amazon. We were on Chapter 4 this week, Why You Don't Have to Find God's Will for Your Life. Now, girl, you were you were excited to talk about this, um, and uh, it's kind of... Glad we asked you to be on it because we asked you kind of last minute, so it's cool that it ended up being a, a chapter that you were excited about. Um, but I think maybe we need to start here by defining what God's will is to kind of frame the conversation. Uh, so the the chapter was called "Why You Don't Have to Find God's Will for for Your Life." Let's first define what God's will actually is. So what are we talking about when we talk about God's will? Yeah, well, one one thing you can talk about with God's will, and I think the chapter touches on it is that he wills for all men to be saved, right? First Timothy 2, 4, that God wants all men to be saved or all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so that's something we can just be confident in no matter what happens. But his will also could be thought of as his, his commands, you know, his, his wants for us as Christians as we make our decisions to follow him and his good and good will. Uh, I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that, but well, in the book he did, he it wasn't actually as clear as I was hoping it would be with the active and passive will of God, mm-hmm. but he he paints that picture very well of the idea that um, the the will of God. I do know what God's will is all the time, because God's will is what I read in Scripture. What I read in Scripture as what God wants to happen or what He commands me to do, that's His will. Okay, and so what happens. Uh, what what the the idea that we're combating here is the idea that we need to find God's will and identify it somewhere else other than right there in Scripture, right? Um, so, first of all, like we need to establish that anything that we find outside of Scripture is not God's will. We can't definitively say this is God's will if I find it or identify it outside of Scripture itself, right? Um, yeah. So. <laughs> Where, I'm trying to think of where to go with this. It, yeah, it's kind of hard to pick a spot to sort of, because we don't really, we don't have the knowledge of God, and we can't say, oh, this is what it is for sure, because it's sort of one of those things that it's just like, oh, God's will for us. Like, mm-hmm. Right. And one part of it, I guess, that I found really interesting was when it brought up the terms providence, God's providence compared to our providence. And you can you can tell me if I'm quoting this wrong, but I believe he's, he said that it came from the Latin providere, I think, or providere, which means like look to or look toward, look ahead. And whereas, and then he's brought up where in our lives we can sort of look ahead to the next day or two or week and we can sort of plan ahead for things and figure out how things are going to go. But God's providence is to the end of time and he knows how things are exactly going to go and no matter how bad we mess up or what we do we cannot change the outcome of god's will it is set in stone i yeah. just thought that yeah. was cool yeah oh and in the same section he was talking a little bit about jeremiah twenty nine eleven, right and it's probably one of the most quoted passages i think um when like when tough things happen or when difficult things happen, people are trying to make a decision or whatever it might be. And if you're not familiar, Jeremiah 29:11 is uh, for I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. 
Now, the way you interpret a passage like that is going to change the way you think about God's will and the way you think about your decision-making process. What some people, what sometimes will happen is somebody will hear a passage like that and say, I've got plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And the pressure then gets turned on the individual because God has plans for me. I need to figure out what they are, though, so that I can walk in them so that I can receive those blessings that he's promising me, right? Uh, but that, that is not what he's saying, and there's nowhere in Scripture where that is commanded. right? And if we can't find something in Scripture, that should be a massive red flag of like, oh, this is problematic. right? This is not biblical or scriptural, so it's not part of my belief system. right? Um, and so it's not my job to figure out what God's will is, if you will, um, because anything that is God's will has already been defined for me in Scripture. Or anything I'm going to know about God's will it's already been defined for me in Scripture. So it is no longer my job or my responsibility to figure out what God's will is. So how do I make a decision then? Like, what do, where do I go? What do I do with that? Where do I go from there? Yeah, and I, I would say, in fact, he ended up going there, but I read maybe the first couple lines of the chapter, and I said, what's God's will for your life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, you know, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's his will for your life. And so go and make your decision. You know, I think where you see this a lot, and I've heard high school guidance counselors talk about it, like in some of our Christian schools, you know, these, these young high schoolers, like, where do I go to college? You know, what, what do I got to do? I, there's so much pressure on me in this decision. What does God want me to do? And I think I actually remember hearing one of them say that almost that same answer. You know, he, God says, love him and love your neighbor. And so as you're considering these, just think about how could you do that best? And ultimately, what you decide, our God is so good that whatever you decide, he will bless it. And He, his will won't be affected by it. And that's, that's a humbling thing, and it's a, it's a comforting thing. And as long as your decision doesn't stand in opposition to, the, to God's law, it's not the wrong decision. Right? It might turn out that you, that you, like it might turn out that you would have rather that you made a different decision. But as long as you're not living in defiance to the revealed will of God, as we find it in Scripture, you're not going to make the wrong decision either. And I, I love the way you frame that with what, do, what glorifies God and serves the people around me. It's the mm-hmm. perfect way to think about it. And it's so simple. What glorifies God and what serves the people around me. I think the other place where we hear it a lot is marriage, right? Absolutely. Now, he pointed out in a book... Uh, I was thinking about it even before he, he uh, I was thinking about it even before I read it. Uh, but it, it, you can't help but read the first section of the chapter without thinking about marriage, right? Yeah. And what a lot of people are doing is trying to find the person God has for them, right? Um, but that's, that also is not what Scripture says and not how we go about the decision. And he pointed out that um, evangelical Married, uh, so, uh, among the evangelical Christian community, the m- divorce rates are just as high as they are in the secular world. Mm-hmm. How can that possibly be? And he goes on, and, and his reasoning, and it makes sense to me, I guess I don't really have empirical proof, but his reasoning is we have all these people who look around and say, oh, God has a person for me, and i got to find God's person for me. So if I marry someone and the marriage isn't going well, it must then mean that either a God or I didn't actually find God's person for me, so it's okay to get a divorce and to separate mm-hmm. because 
it's my responsibility. I glorify God by going out and finding the person he has for me, which all of a sudden then it's just okay to break the marriage covenant, right? Or on the flip side, the person God has for me isn't making my life simpler and easier and better or sweeter or whatever it might be. So God must not love me very much or God decided that I needed a hardship or whatever it might be. So again, similar to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, it's not my responsibility. It wasn't my responsibility to make the decision. So the consequences aren't mine to deal with either. It's actually a lack of accountability because now I'm blaming God for the decisions that yeah. I make instead of being accountable for my own decisions. And in that context, that's not to pound somebody over the head and say, you should stay in that marriage. It's to say, you chose to be with this person. Mm-hmm. Now act like you chose to be with this person and continue choosing and find a way to make it better because you're not going to leave this person and go find God's person for you. You're going to have the same problems in the next relationship or similar problems in the next relationship because instead of looking at it as a decision you made and you honor God by sticking to it, you're seeing it as um, a victim of either being ignorant of God's plan for you or a victim of God himself. And those are not good places to be. I, I think a big part of that, like when, when you say people marry and then they figure out, oh, like this, this isn't the best, so this is God's way of telling me this isn't the right person. A big part of dating and relationships it's not you meet a person and oh it's my soulmate like i know this is the one god has picked for me because a big part about relationships is growing to love that person and i feel like that gets lost in today's society with all these rom-coms and all this lovey-dovey talk about what love actually is and it's just it's not you're going to meet someone and Oh my gosh, I'm so in love with you. Through through scripture and through your life, you will grow to love that person in accordance with God's will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're hitting on uh, an important thing too, and it, it kind of goes back to when we were talking about the Jeremiah 29:11 passage and the misconception that's with that like when people read that passage, the idea is that everything's going to work out really well no matter what. Like like because God loves me, no hardship's going to come up in my life. And that's not true. In context, that passage is is a promise to the people that despite the hardships that they are going to experience and the, the Israelites are going to experience in the upcoming future, like God still has is going to use that for their benefit. And it, it follows down through the rest of it. I mean, by trying to understand God's will, you also have to understand that he's going to permit some hardship to come into your life but ultimately it's going to be used to your benefit and so if you're in a marriage as well and you say well there should never be any arguments or disagreements or hardships inside of a marriage because it's a good christian marriage that's not the case like those hardships sometimes end up fostering an incredibly deeper sense of love and appreciation for that partner you have because you you got over it together you work through it together and so like not only appreciating the good things that come in our lives, but in those moments of turmoil, in those moments of chaos, being willing to sit down and say, "I don't know what you have for me. Well, I don't know what you have planned for me right now, but I know it's going to be for my benefit in the future." And to even make your point greater, I, I jotted down here twenty nine Jeremiah twenty nine eleven um, is well. First of all, contextually, he's talking to Jeremiah, and this is a 
approximately the same time where Daniel's getting thrown in the lion's den, first of all. Oh, yeah. And they're about to go into their second exile mm-hmm. for 70 years. And he's he's about to spend like 13 chapters or something like that, explain to them all the horrible, awful, terrible things that are about to happen to them. And so, and right at the beginning, he says, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And there's nothing about what he says after that that is particularly peaceful right. or yeah. prosperous. And so the, his original hearers would have scoffed, and they likely did. Actually, we, we know that they did. I mean, we know the story of Jeremiah. They scoffed at that idea. Jeremiah um, certainly struggled with the idea that good things were coming. We don't. We aren't promised that everything's going to be hunky dory. What we're promised is that God is working all things for the good of those He loves, mm-hmm. and the ultimate good is to spend my eternity with Him. And so, right. what, what something we talked about a lot last year after one of uh, well, a couple of us were at a men's conference where uh, Professor David Sharp was talking, and he said the the the, the main idea of his keynote was um, the most difficult prayer a man could possibly pray is to say, Lord, if my life must be difficult, if my life needs to be awful, if you know that that needs to happen in order for me to spend eternity with you, then send a storm. Like, let your will be done. Then that is a terrifying prayer to pray. But it acknowledges why I'm really here, what my Savior's goal for me actually is, um, and recognizes what's really, truly important in the end. Yeah, and I think... The reason we are talking about the marriage thing so much is it it is just a concrete example where the rubber meets the road. And really, like we said with these divorces, it's people moving from where we have the revealed will of God, the scriptures, 100%. Like, that's God's word. You can have no doubt that that's God's word for you. And moving it to our perception. And where is that going to go every time because of a sinful heart? It's just going to go all the way to selfishness. And so then you, instead of hearing God's will, like you've married this woman, what's God's will for you? Read God's word. It says, husbands, love your wives mm-hmm. as Christ loved the church. Yeah. The church was never, ever close to being perfectly good to Christ, and yet he loved him. You know? and, and that's what you're calling is, that's God's will for you. But as soon as we make it my perception, like, oh, maybe this isn't the one, though. Why do we want to say that? It's selfishness. We don't, we don't want to love as God has actually willed us to love and called us to love. It's a lot of work. It's not yeah. easy. Yeah, I think you're, you're really hitting on something that I picked up on in this chapter was how he was talking about how when we talk about doing God's will, what does that mean? We can say, oh, just do the will of God and love your neighbor as yourself. True, but when we try to understand what God's will is, the only place we can find that is in Scripture. And one of the best example of that, examples of that is the Ten Commandments. The book mentions how Luther recited the Ten Commandments every morning so that way he could put that he could have that framework already around his day so he knew how to approach his day and how to approach every situation in life. And another thing the author talks about is uh, being stewards and learning wisdom. And he talks about how we should pray like Solomon does in, in, in the Bible in asking for the ability to discern between making good and bad investments as uh, individuals, and that's not just a financial investment. That's an investment with what you do with your with your time, your talents, and your money. And so, yes, there are going to be times where, if you think you're doing the will of God and you make an honest mistake, you make a bad investment. That's okay. Like you're nobody, make nobody, nobody's perfect. But we pray to make those solid investments. And I think another part of the book mentioned how it says 
we want to be innocent like children, quoting the Bible, we want to be innocent like children and shrewd as snakes. Innocent in the sense that we approach evil with that innocence that we want no part of it and we want no knowledge of it. But shrewd as snakes in the sense that we want the knowledge of what God wills for us, but we don't want to take the shortcuts that the devil presented to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so far, I think we've painted it in kind of a negative light, right? Sure. If we paint it a little bit more positive light, sometimes just people are genuinely worried that they're going to make the wrong decision, right? And so they're trying to figure out what God's will is just because they want to be a good steward and make the right decision. But what we forget is that I don't have enough power to screw up God's plan. Right. right? I do not have enough power or authority um, to screw up God's greater purposes, right? I can't make a mess of what God has planned out for me. So just trust that he understands and that he is more, he is greater. And that when I make genuine mistakes, trying to do as well as I can as a sinful human being, just trying to serve my Savior, things are going to turn out okay. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. We can't forget in our moments of anxiety over decisions. We have to hold up two truths at once. God in his grace has given us responsibility and the ability to make decisions. We're not robots. But at the same time, like we talked about at the very beginning of this discussion, he has a will and a plan, and it can't be stopped. Both truths have to be held up at once. And it's, again, it's where we have to die to our reason and our understanding and say, no, they're both true. I mean, okay, permit me to quote my own father here. But part of <laughs> what I ran for the, uh, the paper on He's this, yes, my dad. But uh, <laughs> artistic, he, he described it as this, an artistic dance. And I think... He's really saying it well here. He says, The artful dance that God has designed between human reason and his good and gracious will, or between, yeah, so our human reason and then God's good and gracious will, is something which we must trust more than we can describe. Mm. Right? We don't want to forget that God is working in hidden ways. I think the author referred to it as like his hidden will, right? We see it actually in 1 Kings 22, I think it is, where. Um, I think I have it here. But that's where King Ahab has those 400 prophets that are deceiving him. And then God pulls back the curtain and shows us that it's because he sent a lying spirit to deceive him into battle. Mm. Ahab could have never known that, right? And we wouldn't have known it unless the curtain was pulled back. You know, who's to say what he's not doing that, or what he is doing that we're just not aware of, you know, yeah. to help? Maybe you do meet a girl that just seems like, wow, she may be the one. We, but we should crush the idea of soulmates. But it's not wrong to yeah. say, God, thank you for you know working things out that I met this wonderful person. There's nothing wrong with saying that mm -hmm. because that truth is true as well. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe you want a last word on that? Yeah, just uh, more to, to back up what you were saying is that one of the quotes that I wrote down from the book itself was, we are made in the image of God, which means we are made for wisdom. And so understanding that that God has the intention for us to constantly learn from him and to learn about him. He has to like using our human reason to try to grapple with who he is and, and his wonderful will for us. We're never going to fully do that because God's wisdom is, is, you can't plumb the depth of God's wisdom, but we're made in his image. And so the more time you spend with him and his word, the more wisdom you gain. Love it. You guys make my job. I get all the clout for this. But you guys, you guys are the one. You guys are the money makers here. I appreciate that. So thanks for being prepared. Thanks for putting uh, 
putting a great conversation together. Also, Connor, I just want to shout you out more. We were talking earlier about how you're just the everyman, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you'll be the first one to admit that you struggle with the languages sometimes. Sure, and, absolutely. You know, can't keep up with the conversation sometimes when it gets really academic, especially around here. There's a lot of really and I'm not saying I do. There are a lot of really wildly academic conversations around here where you just kind of go right over your head. But, Connor, you have a fantastic ability to just simply and patiently speak the simple truths of God's Word in a way that anybody and everybody can understand. So I appreciate, I appreciate that. that, man. Thanks for being on. All right, so obscure Christian trivia. We were doing Bible trivia, but the problem with Bible trivia is that it's either way too easy or way, way, way too hard and obscure. So we've gone to Christian trivia instead. So oh these boy. could be questions from church history. This could be about denominations. It could be any current Christian stuff. Um, last week we were talking about... Um, I kissed dating goodbye a little bit in one of our questions. <laughs> it could be anything from the Christian realm. All right, so we got three questions and then a bonus question at the end. Here we go. Question number one. What is the only dog breed, the only dog breed specifically mentioned in the Bible? What is the only dog breed specifically mentioned in the Bible? And just, I did not look it up in the original language. So, just in case that it, just in case it isn't, it's in the King James version. It's specifically mentioned. Just in case it isn't in the original language. This doesn't have anything to do with Noah's Ark, right? Because it was kind of like a Shih Tzu. It does not. You so just wanted to say Shih Tzu. Shih Tzu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Slap the explicit tag on it. Right, said saying. Shih Tzu. Hey, we get three, don't we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We get three. Well, we're at two now. Is it? Uh, is it an Egyptian style dog? That I don't know, but you will often mm. find them in the courts of kings. Oh, this is a hard one. This is a real specific one. <laughs> They're a one. big, fast hunting dog. Bulldog. Greyhound. A bold, bulldog. Yeah, like what University of Georgia. What's a bulldog bred for? They're cute. <laughs> <laughs> a bulldog. Why are you saying it like that? It's a cattle dog, Bryce. It's not for hunting. Okay, anyway. Oh. No guesses? Afghan wolfhound? You're on the right track. You're mm. on the right track. That's really specific. Uh, well. I think they're related. I figured it's Afghan. It's a greyhound. It's oh, a greyhound. Okay. Oh, I think I said you, that. He said greyhound. Did grey you say greyhound? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll give it well, to you then. Ding, we'll ding, give it to yeah, you. So we're one you. for one. Um, well, Bryce distracted us all over here. Uh, Optimus Prime. Yeah. But in Proverbs 30, <laughs> verse 31, he says, A greyhound and, he, and a he-goat also and a king against whom there is Isn't no rising bus? up. It is also a it, bus. It, okay. yeah. yeah, but, but it, it was a, a dog on the breed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have a strong feeling you just want to drive, you want to have like a commercial license to drive around in some big vehicle because it's Optimus that Prime. Be and awesome. a gray, yeah, it would be fun. Yeah, he said that he wanted his... So his dream, pod, dream podmate, one of them would be Optimus Prime. Yeah, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey man, if you, you drive a Greyhound bus, you get to see the see the nation, right? That's right. Across, yeah. meet some Plus, interesting people. Dig Greyhound buses. buses. Yeah, <laughs> that's your what soulmate will dig it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I, yeah, yeah. Fact You'll know us. that she's God's woman for you <laughs> yes. if she likes your Greyhound bus. Okay, question number two: Who is the patron saint of Scotland? Who is the patron saint of Scotland? He's also the patron saint of Russia, if that helps. Is there a Saint Guinness? Saint Jameson? <laughs> Jameson? Jameson. I like that. No, no. The patron saint of Scotland. He's the, also the saint of what? Russia. Mel Gibson, right? No. <laughs> I got nothing here. 
Yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, I'll give you a clue. He's one of the 12 apostles. Um, I got nothing. Saint... Well, let's just take a shot Which here. one would be the most fun to say in a Scottish accent? Bartholomew? Barnabas. I don't even know if Thaddeus. I could say. The answer is Andrew. Andrew! Well, that is kind yeah, of fun, right? Yeah, it's a little yeah. fun. I don't know. It's a little Bartholomew silly. probably would have been a little more fun. Bartholomew! <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to say that in a Scottish accent. That'd be tough. Give it another try. Bartholomew! <laughs> he had that on deck. He was ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> The look on your face while you were doing it, yeah, also, yep. that just made yeah. it funny. All right, so we're one for two. We're at 50 per We're batting 500 right now. Here we okay. go. Question number three. We're going hard on the Catholic stuff today, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which pope is credited with establishing clerical celibacy? Which pope is credited with establishing clerical celibacy? We do study a lot of church history, so we should know this one. Is Which it? pope? Is it an innocent, a Pope innocent? It is not. It's a Leo. Not a Leo. Both good guesses. Francis. It is not. Oh. I think it's the most common Pope name. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's the most common Pope name. I don't know. Gregory. Professor Mitchell be I'm so a disappointed. We just learned it. Pope just Gregory. Gregory the Seventh established clerical celibacy. All right, so we're two for three. You can redeem yourselves if you get question four correct. This going to be rough. This one should be doable. This one should be doable. We talked about it in church history last week. Oh, great. Connor which was apostle, sleeping. <laughs> question four, which apostle is often credited with preaching in India? Which apostle is often oh. credited with preaching in India? Ryan's got it. Oh. I doubt it. My gut tells me Thomas. I was going to say that too. It is Thomas. Yes. No guts, no glory, though. No, I give you a clue. Yeah, you have the guts, guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thomas. Supposedly went all the way out to, to, to India, which there's a long, rich history of uh, Christianity in India, which we don't necessarily always realize. We don't study West, Eastern um, Christianity very much. Yeah, that's right. I remember professors study saying, a lot of Western Christianity. I remember professors saying that the Christians showed up in India like a thousand years after Christianity had already existed in India. I do remember that now. All right. Well, I will. I would say I usually say nicely done, but you guys think fifty percent. Fifty percent. That's yeah. passing. You, it's take it. Is it? Mm. Is it really? All right, we'll do better next week. Nicely done, fellas. Here we go. I just said it anyway. Dang it, it's a habit. Top three. Top three this week, most overrated movies. I'm excited for this one. Top three most overrated movies. I'm going to save my controversial one till the end. All of mine are controversial. Oh, <laughs> All right. I'm going to go. If you say It's a Wonderful Life, I am going to. Don't worry. It's, it. it's not on there. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, I'm gonna... He doesn't like It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, I don't know if I've even seen it myself. Oh, my God. Yeah, you don't. guys are about to find out. Oh. Yeah. I am not oh a movie God. buff, that's for sure. <laughs> All, right. Uh, all right, well, I'll start. Mine is my first one. This is number three, Napoleon Dynamite. It is uh, a waste of two hours. Oh, don't even. It is a waste of two hours. That's I will what... admit that when it's like a GIF, I enjoy literally the half of a second that turns into a GIF. But l- anything else, it's just a stupid waste of a two hours. I thought you were saving your controversial one. 
Oh, that's, yeah. that's definitely not my most controversial. These are, I feel like everything's going to be Napoleon Dynamite is the second dumbest movie ever made. All right. My first one is um, the Avatar movie. Oh, no. I, I thought about that, too. stand that movie. I think it's just a... It's a vomit of CGI. That's all it is. It's terrible, in my the story opinion. storyline isn't good. Terrible, terrible storyline. There's nothing original or exciting about it, mm-hmm. except for the weird, like, an- anemone sex thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, which was weird. The, the te- yeah, the, yeah. the hair. You know Did you not see it? I've, I've just, seen that one, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to bite my tongue. Other, yeah. I could rant for I mean, I saw it in this. theaters twice, 3D, IMAX, all that. Like, it was a phenomena. But if you go back and watch it now, it's like there is nothing exciting no. about this. No. Except for the fact that it was all And they have, what, it's three more, three more scheduled line. or something like that? Because they came no. out with the second one. Yeah. I don't is know. James, Cam- I James Cameron. That. The second one, I really enjoyed a lot. Mm. All right. And well, specifically I'm excited the first for one. the next. I haven't seen the second one. Yeah, I'm excited for the next couple, but that. That might just be me. But. Is one of yours Big Country, Charlie? <laughs> no, that was a great movie. Was a and it was movie. a Big Country, too. What's your <laughs> what's, what's one of yours? So, my first one is... Everybody says it's a Christmas movie, but it's not a Christmas movie. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. It is I just an abomination so of a movie. He's oh. just doing this to make no, me mad. I'm not. He doesn't actually... No, because no, listen, you told me to watch it. I watched it. And I, don't I was like, why wow, I'm never going to get that two hours why did we bring this back in my life. I, uh, <laughs> I was not a part of this meeting. It's too late. It is too late yeah. to take it back now, but next yep. semester we're getting a new host. <laughs> there is just no... You are officially disinvited from it's, our Christmas podcast. We just can have, can we you have just hear me out for a second? Uh, can you just hear me out for a second? Go, go ahead. ahead. So the main, the main actor guy... he Jimmy every, Stewart, one of the okay. greatest actors ever to walk the earth. Okay, Jimmy Stewart... In that movie, all the things he does, you sit there and you go, "Why are you doing that? Why?" It's like a bad, bad rom com movie. Okay, when he was caring about literally anything else except his family in every single decision he made, like, "What are you doing, dude? You're just leaving your family in the dust." You are literally just trying to piss me off. I'm not. (laughs) Okay, give me a specific example from the movie. Dude, I blotted. That entire movie out of my memory. I so tried, you it was can't that even bad. name a reason why. You're only doing this to make me mad. No, I'm not. You can't even name an instance where he was selfish in the whole movie. Literally, the entire movie was about his name selfishness. One thing he did that was selfish. Do you know why the ending of the movie ended you the way it did? One. No, no, no. no. Listen, listen. Do you know why the ending was so beautiful and everything? Because he got over his selfish ways, and he's like, "Oh, it's all about family." When he lost that, what was it, like five grand or something? And he lost the check and he's like, oh, now I have no more money, whatever. And he's like, well, now all I got is family, so I got to go hang out with them. Yeah, that. He cared more about money than his family. You have not seen the end of the movie, have you? No, I have. Where he's like half dead and that angel is carrying him around. He's about to go to a debtor's prison. You know how hard life was for, for a family when you're in debtor's prison back in the day? Like he's about his, if, if he kills himself, then his family isn't liable. He's being selfless. Oh my! Goodness. I've never seen this movie, which is a shame. To, we, we'll watch it together, and I'm gonna love it. Don't worry. Calm down. Calm down. Oh. 
Well, anyway. I'm, I'm officially terminating the podcast. We're never doing another podcast. Okay, Ryan. <laughs> well, the one with the angel wings and stuff? Yeah, no, okay. there are some, there That's are some all silly I remember. moments. Yeah. Yep. Every time a bell rings, the angel gets his wings. Yep. There are some silly moments. I'm not saying that. I want just a bad piece film. Of cinema. I want to hear a bad movie from a non-movie critic over here. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Man, do I do my controversial one right away? We're already yes. full of controversy. I'll go with Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Explain why you think All right. it's overrated. I okay, so I didn't like grow up watching any Quentin Tarantino movies, and I've kind of learned to really like thinker movies. Like I really enjoy like Inception and Interstellar, oh, stuff gosh. like that. Oh, oh, is, Inter- is, is Inception coming up? <laughs> oh no! So stuff like that. You know, I like to think a little bit. I like to be confused and figure, try to figure it out, and read articles afterwards that tell me how I messed up, and. Uh, I guess because of all the different plot lines and all that stuff, I just was trying to find something big, and then the movie just ended. And I guess I just don't appreciate the beauty of cinema or something. I don't know, but it just I just didn't didn't find it that enjoyable. I think Quentin Tarantino. I will not say he's overrated, but I don't quite get it. I will say that the Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. Oh yeah, and the people I watched it with, of course, thought the same thing, and that's why they watched it with me. But. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, for my second one, I'm going to say The Notebook. Garbage. I can't oh, stand come it. Come on. I really? can't stand it. It's beautiful. It's not beautiful. It's a toxic cu- I'm with you on this one. It's a yeah. toxic couple. Yeah. It's, it didn't make my list because I only had three. But it's a toxic couple. Like, they should not be together. Like, the right. world would be a better place if they weren't together as a couple. Okay. First okay. Of all. And okay. The, let's and not the, be rash. <laughs> I, I will agree with you to an extent, but that kiss in the rain really made the movie. Did we not just spend 20 minutes talking about how there's no, no such thing as, like, yeah, no God's person for you? Yeah. Like, there's no such thing as soulmates. Correct, yeah. But the kiss in the rain, it just made so the movie. So the rest of the, the other the other hour and 47 minutes, it doesn't even matter because they kissed each other in the rain. Yeah, it was super emotional and pretty and beautiful. Well... I'm glad, I'm glad we're such different people, Bryce, because for me, it was not I, like I've had to sit through it from, with multiple girlfriends and it's just every single time I'm like, here we go again. And then I just sit there and watch it and because you have to, and that's okay because they like it and you just deal with it. So yeah, that's my number two. Well, continue the controversy, Bryce. All right. Um, the Dark Knight. Oh my goodness. Oh, hear me, hear me out. Hear me out. The Dark Knight just piggybacks on The Dark Knight Rises, and that's why the entire Dark Knight series is considered one of the greatest Batman series to c- come out. So, so you mean the prequel? The prequel, yes. The, just, just rides just, on them? Yes, the prequel rides on the sequel's back and carries it to all its fame and all its glory. Because The Dark Knight Rises is a, is a phenomenal movie. Mm-hmm. The Dark Knight, not so much. Are you... Give bring me it on. reasons why. Bring it on, Connor. The burden of proof is on you. Why? Give me reasons why that, like, what about that movie is, is not good? I'm not saying it's not good. I'm saying it's overrated. Okay. What's overrated about it? Literally okay. the entire movie. Okay. Okay. Is okay. it the, the plot, the storyline, the characters, the acting? What it, What isn't up to snuff? So The Dark Knight is just... I gotta remember the trilogy in my head. So the Dark Knight Rises is the one where he fights Bane, right? No, that's the one where that's he fights it. Joker. Dark, no, Knight the Dark Knight Ri- Rises is the one where the house gets burned down and everything and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, and I think Dark okay. Knight Rises is Bane. Yeah, Dark Knight yeah. Rises mm-hmm. is Bane. Uh, what's Wait, the what? third one? What's the second yeah. one where he fights Joker? Uh, it goes Batman Begins, Batman Dark Begins. Knight, oh, Dark Knight Rises. I got him confused. So you're saying the one with the Joker, with Heath Ledger's Joker, is overrated? I guess I, I misstepped in the trilogy. I meant Batman Begins. There we okay, go. So okay, that. Yeah, 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 that's fine. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgot about. I was going to say. Okay, so I forgot about the first movie too. Batman okay. Begins was was a little lackluster, but it definitely set the stage for the other two. But yeah. I don't disagree and with I you. I will. I will also completely agree with you on the idea that. Batman Begins just rides on the shirt tails for sure, for of sure. the other two movies. So yeah. I will 100% agree with that. I will confess that I thought that you I, were hating on the Heath, Heath Ledger, Ledger Joker, Joker, which was I, which was fantastic. I confess that I spoke wrong. I okay. meant Batman Begins. Okay, I, I just got the that. trilogy yeah. mixed up in my head. For sure. Not like grossly overrated, but overrated. All right. Just doing Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. You just don't like Wildly comedy. over. I what know is funny about Charlie, that movie? Charlie's not a funny guy. That's what, okay, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm not that funny. But <laughs> what what about that movie is actually funny? Just the way they are. Nothing about that movie is funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I I watched it recently. I'm trying to think. I mean, the fact that I can't think of a funny joke maybe maybe that supports your your stance. It's, it's just a bunch of dumb guys walking around being dumb. It yeah. makes you dumber as you watch it. Right. Like it, And I think the stupidity of it is what makes it funny because it's like peeking into a relationship between two brothers when they're six years old but they're grown 40-year-old men. That's how I interpret the film. I know your number three is Step Brothers, and I'm going to come across this I table. I love Step Brothers. Okay, thank goodness. It's not like my top ten list or anything, but sure. I enjoy Step Brothers. Okay. I like Will Ferrell. All right, movie critic. All right, back to the expert. I see. Let's go <laughs> with. Uh, let's do okay for a sec. One maybe that everybody will agree with. This summer, I had it recommended to me by quite a few people to watch this movie called Overcomer. Have you guys heard of that no, one? No, no. This... Most Christian movies are overrated. Oh my goodness, <laughs> every one. And then I, it. I'm going to just lump it in. Like, Facing the Giants is by the same company. So you've There's probably seen one Facing scene the Giants. Facing the Giants. Yeah. Stonewall Brock. Stonewall. Yeah. Where, yeah. He's, where, he's, where he's going yeah. down the field. Or great, that. Yeah. Great just that scene is all right. But the whole rest of the movie is stupid. Yeah. I mean, we're watching it in our Word of God class at our, my Lutheran high school. And it's, it's just, I don't know. Is that really what we want our young people to see? I, it's just saturated with prosperity glory like theology if of glory I, if i trust god someone will buy yeah. me a truck anonymously well yeah. to, to quote <laughs> to quote Paushin when i asked him about the tv series the chosen uh compared to a lot of the garbage that's out there like i would rather have my kid watch something that has god at least meant as the focal point of the mm-hmm. of the film right i don't want them to get their theology from it but compared yeah. to you know whatever horrible film is coming out this summer yeah so just to really quick, then Overcomer is the same thing, right? It's this girl who doesn't have parents, uh, gets, or maybe she has like just she's just raised by her grandmother or something, gets caught up in stealing and all this stuff, but she's in cross country, but she discovers Christ, and then what do you know? By the end of her first season, she wins state, right? I because just especially our young Christ. people, like what is what is this for them? Right, I don't yeah. know. It's just a wrong idea, wrong idea of God's will, you know? It's all yeah, sorts yeah, of yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, the shack is another good example of that kind the of thing. The shack, yeah, it's theologically awful. Some cool themes, maybe sure. theologically mm-hmm. awful. 
right. Go ahead. All right. My number three is Inception. Oh, yeah, come I, on. I did not like Inception at all. I'm out of here. And I tried to watch it twice, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I just did not enjoy the film. I once again agree with you. That's Nolan, I right? Christopher Nolan? Yeah. Yeah. Christopher Nolan? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like Tenet either. I wasn't a fan of that, and, but... I enjoy, he did a space film, uh, Interstellar or something like that, or yep. one of those. Those those were that was a, a good film, but so you liked Interstellar but not Inception. Yeah, correct. I like space more, but it sort of the same concepts. Yes. And I would say Inception does the concept better than Interstellar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interstellar just has prettier views. I think that's why I was attracted to the the cinema, the cinematography that took place in that film, and the idea of space. I don't know. I was mm-hmm. much more attracted to that interesting okay still yeah, mad at you for me most of the attraction to inception was just the cinematography it wasn't like, the storyline didn't do a lot for me mm-hmm. and then the here's what drives me nuts like you were talking about you like the mystery and all that kind of stuff they I, I mean you that when they asked chris was it christopher nolan yeah, yeah. when they asked christopher nolan about the spinning top at oh, the end yeah. like what happens at the end he's like i don't know like that's really mm-hmm. you don't even they're like ah, that i hate those those loose ends. That's how it's supposed to be i hate those loose ends yeah okay my last one i'm gonna alienate everybody everything about every single one of the movies is overrated don't say it i i am not enthralled by them at all don't say it. the tv shows the video games none of it don't find say none it. of it exciting i know what you're none of say. it's any good Stop it. Star Wars no. is overrated. No. Star Wars is not that good. I thought you were going to say You're Marvel. old. That's why. Star Wars. I'm He would like wait, it more that, if he yeah, was old. I was going to say that. <laughs> wait a minute. Like for his 13th birthday, his dad took the him to see the first one. The new ones, they're just, they don't do anything for me. I can't even figure out what the storyline is. I, I literally read, like I read, I went on Wikipedia, read the plot, and watched the movie and was like checking back and forth between the movie and Wikipedia, and I could not follow the plot. If you've seen Harry Potter, you've seen it all. Oh. It's, the, see, same, it's the same story. Can I, same story. Can I give you guys a fun fact about Star Wars really quick? Go for it. It sucks. No, so of all the movies, TV shows, animated series, it all comes to about a total runtime of, I think, eight and a half days. And I have watched everything twice, if not more. I even like the Clone Biggs. Wars and all that yeah. stuff. Like the, the I show. applaud you. Mm-hmm. Wow. It ain't for me. I appreciate the dedication. It doesn't mean it's quality TV. Mm-hmm. No, it is. It is, though. That's the thing. <laughs> um, I love that you never quantify your... <laughs> you never quantify No, but, no, but it your... is. <laughs> Just is. <laughs> What's your uh, number three, Bryce? Did you get yours out there? Yeah, so my number three is Forrest Gump. Oh, my goodness. What? Yeah. You kids and your... Mm. That's no, my listen, favorite movie. Listen. Listen, <laughs> li- listen to me now. Okay. Listen. So, yes, are you, it's a, Are you old enough to know Listen, Linda? You? I am. Yeah. No, listen, Linda. Listen. Yeah, yeah, Linda, listen, Linda, listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It is it is a great it's a nice story. Okay, it's a feel good story, happy story, and I like the idea of him all telling it from that bench and then flashbacks whatever. Right? But the thing that gets me is that I just don't like Tom Hanks in it. Okay. It, he just Like what do you mean? He just What do you when you say like, you don't like him? What do you I, I don't, don't like, like how his how Forrest Gump is just kind of a ditzy guy. 
I don't mm-hmm. I don't like that at all. Like I get that's how it's supposed to be, but you it just doesn't it so makes the movie better. So what would you do to make me. it better? Have how him would you shift the character. Have him not be ditzy. That's like kind of the whole point. Yeah, isn't it kind of. Like that's why he wanders onto these historical events because yeah. he's and joins the, the whole, and joins the army. Yeah, <laughs> like well, then, plays ping pong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why it's an overrated movie. All right, Gurgle, what's your last one? Oh boy. Oh, it could be. Oh man, I'm trying to decide here. I'm gonna go with Disney's Soul. Have you guys seen that one? Yeah, I did Soul? see Soul. Yeah. Not just. I don't know. I heard lots of good things. I had fantastic reviews, and it just didn't do it for me. And I actually got to write, call me the theological guy, always bringing it back, but I actually got to write a dogmatics paper on the movie That's about their cool. concept of the soul, the human soul. Yeah. And it is interesting to dive into that. I mean, they get some ideas from Mormonism and all this other stuff, but it's using the concept of the soul to heighten the sanctity of life, but for the goal of saying life is worth living just because of life itself, which is cool and all but sure. it's cyclical it's though. not it's yeah. yeah yeah exactly i haven't cared for very many disney movies after like lilo and stitch to be mm. honest yeah some you. of these so, new animated ones yeah, just but, yeah, they're they're not great. I, th- I couldn't tell you when the last time i really liked an animated movie was a kung, new one kung fu panda mm. yeah but that was mm. a while ago yeah that was and, the, nice and the sequels weren't great not as good kung, kung fu panda 2 it's not I mean, it's not bad i'm not saying it's bad i'm saying really liked though what about madagascar We've got more trash. Also a while ago. Yeah, also a while ago. I mean, you're talking about movies that came out when we were in like when when I was in I was, like high school. I was college. close. Yeah, I was Big close. Hero Six. It's not bad. It's good. I it's like that. Bad. I like Coco, the one where it's, I haven't seen that one. one. Oh, that one did make me cry. It's got a good plot yeah. twist. It's it's a big yeah, teddy yeah. bear. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we gotta finish up here. So, um, this week in church, Pentecost 18, shout out to Josh Rachi for getting us on track here. Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. This is the EHV translation. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility consider one another better than yourselves. Let each of you look carefully not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Indeed, let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed, but he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant when he was born in human likeness, and his appearance was like that of any other man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me just point out this is probably the best, was it, is doxology the proper term? But one of my, this is one of my, maybe not the best, isn't the right word, one of my favorites, um, just like spots where they identify who and what Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't find more beautiful words than that. So from... I'd say from um, verse 6 on, talking about uh, how he did not prize the, his identity as God. And you think about that, like this, the, the price paid for my ransom is the one thing that doesn't have value. Right? Everything mm. in the universe has value, even the stars, even the sun, it has value at some point, right? The one thing that does not have value is God himself, who exists outside of creation. And that's the price that he paid for me, which is 
it, it's not something I can understand and comprehend. Um, but then he considers, not only does he come to earth as like a king or something, he comes to earth and he's the poorest of the poor. He makes himself a servant. He lives under the law. He's obedient to the point of death. He's put to death by the governing authorities. He's that obedient. Um, and he's killed in perhaps one of the most, well, certainly one of the most brutal ways ever, perhaps the most brutal public execution ever. I mean, even if you're, if you, at least if you're impaled with a spike, you die quickly. That doesn't happen on a cross. Mm-hmm. Right? At least if you're beheaded, you die quickly. That doesn't happen on a cross either. Yep. If you're boiled alive, you, you lose your nerve endings. It doesn't happen on a cross. I'm not saying any of these are good ways to die. I'm just <laughs> saying a cross is a brutal way to die. And then to talk about how he's been exalted afterwards, and every tongue, I mean, it doesn't get any more beautiful than at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not only will that get you fired up, but it's a good reminder once again of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And it's a good reminder for us that, that that's who we try to emanate when we say that we're being Christ-like, when we try to emulate, live a sorry. emulate. Sorry, yeah, I don't know, you're right. It's the Michigan accent muddling everything together. There's some, there's some, to get back to theology, there's some theological implications there for, right, for right, emanating right. him. Yeah, right. Versus emulating right. him. When we try to emulate him, uh, the idea that we're supposed to be like Christ, obviously unattainable because he's perfect, but it really sets the standard for us in our life, the, the humility, the willingness to suffer, the looking for, looking out to everybody else's interest before our own. It's it's a gold mine right here. Yeah, well, and I mean, the first four or five verses are telling us exactly what it means to be Christ. It's easy to say, oh, be like Jesus. What would Jesus do, right? That's not up to our judgment. Like, I think Jesus would do this in this situation. He tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility consider one another better than yourselves. Or more valuable, depending on how you want it. I mean, there's a couple of different ways to, to translate that. But yeah. The, yeah, go ahead. I was going to touch on verse 3 because that was the verse that really stuck out to me. And I know I talk about how like, the individualistic lifestyle of America and everything you do is, oh, you have to do what puts you ahead. You have to do what makes you the most money. You have to do this in order to benefit yourself. And that is just hammered on today by everybody around us um, like us living in america our fellow living americans are america. all they're all just what can i do for myself mm-hmm. and verse three says no don't do that you be like christ be humble do everything for others not for yourself you could say that's god's will for you oh. right to full circle but really right what a beautiful text to have after that discussion like, here is God's will for you. Consider others better than yourselves. Uh, value them above yourself. Why? Because look at God accomplishing his will for you. Mm. The utter humility of Christ. Um, that There's your inspiration, your, your empowerment for going and doing his will. That he did, did that for you. Yeah, and to build on Bryce's point, I mean, verse 3, it doesn't say, try not to be selfish mm-hmm. or be selfless more than you're selfish or try to be good. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. If it's selfish ambition, if it's conceited, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Just flat out, don't do it. It doesn't have a place in your life. And that's a vastly different attitude than the attitude of the world and the attitude of most Christians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Real quick, this is totally unrelated to what we just did, but um, if everybody else is done speaking on that, uh, in my opinion, I think we should have a poll set up to see which gurgle is best on the podcast, and then we'll have <laughs> people pit which on pit this on better. Yeah. A popularity contest yeah. between the gurgles? Yeah. Speaking of popularity, though, just a fun aside on this, is this the closest thing we get to what did Jesus look like as a guy, as a man, right? Nothing that would draw us to his appearance. I think we hear that somewhere else. Or was that here? Being found in appearance as a man. Or I thought there was something in here about just kind of, you know, yeah, maybe I think it's, just it's an a average different spot, guy, but yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Right. What do you guys think? Was Jesus just like, do you think his appearance was probably very average? There's nothing to draw us to him? Well, it says it was like that of any other man. So we would have to assume that he was just, look, he looked like everybody else in that culture that area of the world i i always thought though to myself that there was no way he had acne as a child like i did <laughs> just he was perfect yeah like perfect all. skin you know <laughs> <laughs> okay this is not biblical no so yeah, i'm just, going to I'm, what i'm about to say also not biblical so don't take this as oh anything more than it is but somebody pointed out once and i think it's just kind of a cool way to think about it is like in our culture at the moment we're having a lot of conversation about the racial identity of jesus right so you've got like black jesus and white jesus and i mean a lot of churches especially old german churches and norwegian churches jesus is white right mm-hmm. um i think uh, what is uh, uh 21 jump street is famous for having korean jesus right <laughs> you've got all these different jesuses depending on the ethnicity of the people that have the church right um and there's been some big claims about black jesus and the idea that jesus was black not the case. Jesus was a Palestinian Jew, right? Or that uh, in today's approximation, he's a mm-hmm. Palestinian Jew. And they pointed out that that's, I mean, it really is the crossroads of the world. But it's also the people, and if this is not accurate, forgive me, but it's also the people who have the, who share the most DNA with the rest of the world, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you live way up in Scandinavia, if your ancestors were Scandinavian, right, you, you don't share as much um, like DNA with somebody from East Africa, for example, mm-hmm. or somebody from Japan, um, as you would if you were grew up in that part of the world where it's that cross-section of the world. Because over the generations, there's been so much cross-population there and armies always tra- tramping through there and all kinds of stuff that they really are, um, like heritage-wise, ethnically super diverse. But those like that particular area of the world, they're basically an average of all the other different ethnicities, right? So their skin's not dark, but it's not light. Hair's not straight, but it's not super curly. They don't have froze, but they also, their hair's not straight, right? Their their hair is dark, but it's not as dark as some places and things like that. Um, generally light brown eyes. If you have this cool idea of like, it's, it's just a mixture of all the different cultures of the world all in one place. And so Jesus very much does look like literally anyone. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have somebody, even the darkest the dark, darkest Africans can look at Jesus and be like, he's got dark skin like me. Even the whitest, lightest you know, European can say, he's got some things in common with me. I just thought that was a cool idea that hmm. you know, the, just the area of the world even that Jesus was born. Now, not biblical. I'm not saying it's necessarily perfectly accurate. It's just kind of a cool idea. Um, there's a song uh, by, not Perry Como. Um, there's, there's a song from the 50s. It's a Christmas song. And the the whole song just goes like the idea that, um, yeah, it was back when I was in middle school, Bryce. 
No, yeah. if you bring up Christmas one more time. <laughs> okay, but the whole point of the song is some children see him black as they, some children see him with blonde hair, and so forth. Um, but like he really was like you think about it from a racial perspective, he really was kind of the everyman mm. of the races mm. as well, which is kind of a cool thing yeah, to think about. It's a cool thought. Anyway, we're out of time here. So, uh, Gurgle, how can we find you online? Well, I do have a YouTube page that during COVID I recorded some hymns with Christian Willick. He's a now a first year pastor at Aurora, Aurora, Illinois, I think, or somewhere somewhere in Illinois. I might have it wrong, but yeah, uh, that if you just search up Ryan Gurgle on YouTube, I think you'd find it, or I can give you the specifics later. I'm not sure. It's yeah, one we'll of those weird down the, down YouTube yeah. with just numbers generated mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but yeah. That'd be worth checking out, I think. Sweet. Anywhere else, like social media at all or anything? I got Instagram and Facebook, but... Sweet. What is your name on Instagram? The Gurgler. The Gurgler. And then RR, because it's my initials, Ryan Robert. So So T-H-E-G-U-R-G-E-L. That's creative. And then just Ryan Gurgler on Facebook? That's right. Awesome. Connor? Uh, Connor Herder on... Yeah, Connor Herder on Facebook, and then I think Connor.Herder at Instagram. All right. Bryce? Uh, Bruce.Goose4 on Instagram. <laughs> and I guess you could... I'm going to try to start getting back into the Facebook thing because that's a pretty easy thing to do. So Bryce Goosey. Bryce with a I, not a Y. Sorry. Uh, spell it. No, that's the right way to spell it. Um, yeah, and that's about it. Or my no, email. No, email this no my email go. is uh, <laughs> Goosey, G-U-S-E dot Bryce with an I at Yahoo.com. Awesome. So that'll work. You can find me at um, www.girdup.org, girdupministries.org. Facebook is Charlie Ungemach or Gird Up Podcast. Um, Instagram is girdup underscore b underscore a underscore man. And is that it? I think that's it. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to make a donation, all that information will be down at the bottom as well. Thank you guys for listening. Go be the man that God created you to be. We'll talk to you next week. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, editing, and distributing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at any of the links in the description below or on our website. Please consider supporting the work of Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping at our online store, or making a $5 cup of coffee donation at www.girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure you like, friend, follow, and subscribe to Gird Up and all of our guests on your social media platforms and consider leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Gird Up podcast so that others can find us and be blessed by our content too. As always, thanks for listening. Now go and be the man that God created you to be. We'll see you next time.